Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. What is prayer? Prayer is listening to God, talking to God. It's a real conversation. The Westminster Larger Catechism, which is a document written several hundred years ago to help teach those in Britain and in Scotland what it meant to pray, says it like this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of the Spirit with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. What is prayer? How would you define it? St. Augustine, one of the first modern biographies, autobiographies, if you will, maybe the first real autobiography in all of literature, was written as an extended prayer. St. Augustine, in his confession, said the thought of the Lord stirs so deeply that man cannot be content unless he praises you because... Father, you made us for yourselves, and our hearts find no peace until they find rest in you. During these weeks leading up to Pentecost, which is on May 28th, Memorial Day weekend, we are talking about what it means to be people of prayer in this church. The strength of this church is not how well you behave, although there are some of you who are so much more sanctified than I am. It's not how much scripture you know. It is not how big and beautiful a building is that we may one day have the privilege of being a part of. The strength of a church is not how many church plants they planted. The strength of a church is the fierce commitment and power in that congregation to pray. And so we're using this acronym to find rest in prayer, R-E-S-T, to recite God's goodness, express our neediness, to seek his stillness, and to trust his faithfulness. Recite God's goodness, express our neediness, seek his stillness, and trust his faithfulness. This is an acronym that's not mine. It comes from a woman whose name is Asherita Kwekwe. She wrote this acronym in a book called Prayers of Rest. And I found it so helpful that we're using it to help guide our study in prayer. As I read through the book of Matthew, and I think about all the times that Jesus prayed in Matthew, you find these beautiful examples of where Jesus recited his Father's goodness, expressed his neediness, though he was without sin and yet still came to the Father for those things he needed, sought his stillness, and trusted in his faithfulness. One of the most important spiritual disciplines in the Christian life is for you and for me to get away to pray, to get away to pray, to go somewhere, to be in solitude, to be in silence, alone, to pray. And if there's anything else that you remember about this morning, it is that your call and my call as believers is to continue to foster our relationship with the Father by getting away to pray. So get away to pray. And with that in mind, would you stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 27, and we'll see how Jesus got away to pray and how by being united to him in faith, he calls us to do the same. 
shaped by the Holy Spirit. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out, It is I. Do not be afraid. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. This week, I was only in town one day. I had um, a meeting with the regional group of churches on Monday and Tuesday, which in, in Presbyterian language, it's called going to presbytery. So we had a presbytery meeting on Monday and Tuesday. I was in town on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Lauren and I had an event we had to attend in Dallas. We had to be in Dallas. We had to lead this event on, on Friday night. Several hundred people were coming into Dallas in order to be there. And just when we got into Dallas, we got the call from Steph Ford that Stephanie Dees had died. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the week that the Lord calls us as a church to seek his stillness in prayer, it seems like there's no possible way to ever be still. And this is the week that many of you live, don't you? Because many of you travel several days of the week, every week. Some of you work nights, almost every night. Some of you work long hours during the day or you stay at home with your children during the day, every day. And so whenever you hear the topic of stillness, you look around and you think, who's got time for that? But yet, isn't it interesting that six times in the Gospels, the Gospel writers speak about Jesus getting away to pray? And I think it's safe to assume, isn't it? Is it safe to assume that he was probably the busiest man in history? <laughs> I mean, he had 33 years to save the world. And think about Jesus in his late 20s. Like, he hasn't even started his public ministry yet. What is he doing? It would have been like, man, we turn 18 and we're going. And Jesus is 28, 29, doesn't even start his public ministry till 30. What do you think he's doing in his 20s? 20-somethings, what do you think Jesus was learning how to do? He was learning how to pray. Sinless, perfect, fully God, fully man. I don't know how some of you 20-somethings are spending your 20s, but Jesus even sought the importance of his stillness early in his life. And here we find that in the midst of the tragedy of our life, in the midst of the busyness of our days, in the midst of all that goes on, that the Lord calls us to be still and to get away to pray. And I want to invite you this morning to see what this means. What does it mean to get away to pray? Would you look with me at verse 23? 
It says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. What does that teach us? Number one, that Jesus needed rhythms of solitude and you do too. Jesus had things to do, and he knew that in order to teach his disciples, he had these precious moments with them. Did I just say precious moments in a sermon? Oh, my gosh. He had these incredible opportunities. You'll, you'll, some of you will get the precious moments. He'll have these incredible opportunities. can't believe I said that. In the midst of his ministry life to shape and shepherd them. And yet here he has this great opportunity. They're on a boat by themselves. He's got them right where he wants them to teach them and train them. And yet Jesus turns away and he goes and he prays. The context for Matthew chapter 14 is, is interesting because if you lower your eyes up to the top of the chapter, you see that Herod the Tetrarch saw the miracles of Jesus and thought it was John the Baptist resurrected. And so he, Matthew, when he's writing this gospel to the Jews, takes time to then explain what happened with Herod and with John the Baptist. Do you remember the story? Herod the Tetrarch was, his father was Herod the Great, and when Herod the Great died, he took his land and he divided it amongst four different rulers, and Herod the Tetrarch was one of those rulers, and he had a brother, Philip II, and Herod the Tetrarch fell in love with his brother's wife, which was incest because she was a relative and it was also adultery because she was not his wife. And Herodias, Philip II's wife, divorced Philip II and Herod's wife at the time, he divorced her so that they could get married together. And John the Baptist, being the prophet of God, called him out for his sin. And it's his birthday and people are there to celebrate Herod. And Herod was just this pusillanimous, cowardly, insecure ruler who was looking for any kind of way possible to show his strength because he had a wife in Herodias who was incredibly powerful and commanded the room whenever she walked in. And so when Herodias' daughter, who was probably 12 to 14, is dancing at his birthday party, and he says, well, ask of me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. It's my birthday. And she says, I want the head, this little 12 to 14-year-old girl, passed on a message from her mother, and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And so, so Herod the Tetrarch, who is a Jewish leader, who should have then had a charge against John the Baptist, he should have had a trial, that's what Jewish law teaches, says, here's an opportunity for me to really show my strength. And so Herod the Tetrarch enacted a Roman law that would allow the decapitation of anyone who went against authority. And so Herod the Tetrarch had John the Baptist, who was in prison, decapitated. And his head brought before him at the public party. And so here's Herod the Tetrarch who probably didn't really want to kill John the Baptist, to be honest. Scholars think that he was cowardly, that he was insecure, that he did a lot of Herodias' his wife's bidding during his reign, is full of guilt. And so when he sees this miracle worker, Jesus, the cousin of John the Baptist, he doesn't know the name of Jesus. He just sees the miracles and he thinks, oh my gosh, that's John the Baptist. He's back and he's coming from me. And so Herod begins to set his sights on Jesus as Jesus performs these miracles. And when Jesus hears 
that Herod wants Jesus dead. Jesus knows that his time is short, and he knows that the rulers of the Jewish nation are beginning to turn their eyes toward him. What does it say that he does? This is the context. And earlier it says that Jesus, as soon as he heard from Herod, when Jesus heard this, this is verse 13. It's not in your bulletin, but it's in your Bibles. I hope you bring those with you to worship. Verse 13 of chapter 14. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus knew he needed solitude. He knew he needed to get away. And so Jesus tries to get away. But he's not able to get away because when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And they tracked Jesus down. And they found him. So Jesus is trying to get away. He put it on his Google calendar. He planned to get away. He knew what he was doing. He got away. And he was immediately interrupted. That ever happened to you? The first thing we know is that Jesus needed rhythms of solitude, and so do you. The second thing we learn from this passage in the context is that when your plans for solitude fail, you try again. Jesus tried to get away. Remember, the crowds followed him. And this just wasn't any crowd. This was 5,000 men, which means that they most likely also had at least one other person with them and their wife or their children. And so you've got a a field full of 10 or 20,000 people who were looking to Jesus. And Jesus, you remember the miracle, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And after he feeds the 5,000, there are 12 loafuls of of, uh, basketfuls of loaves and pieces left. And so these disciples are wiped out. You try to manage 10,000 people with 12 guys. It's hard work. And so what does Jesus do immediately after that? What does the text say that we read today? Verse 22, immediately in our text today in your bulletin, it says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus tried to get away by himself and he couldn't do it. And the crowds followed him and he fed the 5,000. And then immediately he sent his disciples away. Get away. I'll deal with the crowds. You guys get in the boat. He knew how exhausted that they were. When your plans for solitude fail, try again. Husbands, when your wife tries to get away and she gets interrupted by your children, you take the kids for the night. And I know how hard that is. Wives, when your husband is just wiped out and he needs time to get away, invite him to get away. You know, you make space for each other. I hope that most of you go on date nights together regularly as married couples. Those of you who are single, you spend lots of good time with your friends. You deepen relationships. But you should also plan time to be away with the Lord. And sometimes that means it's not just one weekend away, as John Thorpe taught us about the monastics in our church history class this morning. It's not that you have a time away where it's just you in the desert. Sometimes it means that it's 10 minutes where you quiet your heart and you come before him in word and prayer. And maybe it's just as long as that pause was. One of the great disciplines of the Christian life is that we have the confidence to pray to our Father in heaven as though we are accepted because in Christ Jesus we are. 
And we can come to him as a good father. And so let me talk to those of you who don't have good fathers and find this concept difficult. Your father in heaven loves you and he is always with you and he cares about you more than you could ever imagine, however hard it is to imagine it. And he welcomes you to come. And it is the safest place in the world to come into his arms. You can bring your questions. You can bring your doubts. You can bring your fears. You can bring your tears. You can bring your anger. You can bring your joy. You can bring whatever it is you want to bring. You just go to him. Tim Keller says that prayer is continuing a conversation that God started through his word and his grace which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. And by encounter, don't think that there's some way to like lather yourself up or you feel some emotional response. It means that you are over time consistently building into your life the rhythm of just praying with him alone. Now, kiddos, let me talk to you for just a second if I can. When I was young, I was really afraid of being alone. And so when you hear me say, it's good to be alone and pray, and you're scared of being alone, it's okay. You don't have to be alone away from your mom and dad. It's okay. When I was 11 years old, I had autophobia. Do you know what that is? The fear of being alone. I was 11. And when my parents would leave the house, I had this incredibly intense fear that they would never come back. And it really paralyzed me as an 11-year-old child. And so when you hear this, kiddos, when you hear that you should get away to pray, what that means is that wherever you are in your bedroom or at night, you should learn to pray to Jesus and tell him about your day and invite him in because he's already there and begin to talk to him. Eugene Peterson says that we as human beings learn language so early that we don't ever remember learning how to speak the, our mother tongues. The slow syllable, development syllable by syllable we acquire in our capacity to now answer, to say words like mama and bottle and ball. We don't ever remember actually doing that. What would it be like is if we could learn to pray in the same way where you don't have to have it all figured out, but you just go and you begin to practice. You get a way to pray so that you're being able, you're able to just cry out to your heavenly father and say, Lord, I'm here, help. Draw near to me in your word and give me the ability to be still. Because there will always be interruptions. And when your plans for solitude fail, you try again. In studying this passage this week, the thing I think that is the hardest for me about being still is I've got five people in my family that I deeply care about. I really want them to be in good shape. And, and then there's a lot of people in this church that I care about. And I know that as a pastor, I need to get away and pray. And it is easy for me to think about a thousand reasons why that it's not time yet for me to do that. But what I love about this passage is that notice, notice what is happening to the disciples on the boat, who Jesus cares for and loves. They're on the boat, and Jesus is praying. It's the middle of the night, and Jesus sees the storm coming. Jesus sees his best friends, not his biological family, but as close as possible in this boat. And they are fearful, and the winds are coming, and the rains are pounding down on that boat, and the waves are lapping against the side. And what does Jesus do? 
he remains in solitude. Others who need you will be fine, even if they're in a storm. Unless you believe that, you're never going to be able to get away to pray. Jesus needs rhythms of solitude, and so do you. When your plans for solitude fail, you try again. And others who need you will be fine, even if they are in a storm. When evening came, it says, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus teaches us, even in his own example, about boundaries and about setting aside time for himself to be able to pray. And guys, you happen to be in the room, but I am preaching this gospel to myself. And would we be a kind of people who are able to set boundaries, who are able to get away and to be at peace in solitude for a season? Would we be the kind of church that steps into the lives of one another to allow each other the kind of space and solitude that we need? Would community groups be people that don't just talk over chips and dip about superficial things, but that actually say, how can I help you get away? How can we build rapport and trust with one another so much so that we actually allow other families to take care of our kids? How can we increase the surface area of those that we trust with things that are dear to us? Like, wouldn't it be great to be a church like that? Wouldn't it be great to be a church that even, even when you're in Dallas and you hear hard news, you can begin to call people and you long to be back. Mitch, I wanted to be back in town so stinking bad, dude. I couldn't get back in town. And Preston and Addison, I wanted to hug your neck. But Will Parker found you. And Chuck Simmons found you. And they were the hands and feet of Jesus. And they did whatever they could to track you guys down and to embrace you and to walk with you. That's the picture of the church. Amen? Friends, you are not isolated automatons living the Christian life. You are deeply connected. Dustin read it for us in John 15. We abide in him. We are branches engrafted into Jesus, who is the true vine. And if Jesus, who is the true vine, who came to be the true king, who was placed upon a throne that was a cross, who was given a crown that was made of thorns, and who was adorned with raiment that was his wounds, offers you entrance and offer to be reconciled to God the Father through his death and his sacrifice of his life through his resurrection, to then welcome you, to give you the kind of peace and rest that you are so longing to have. You can have it this morning by placing your faith in Christ. And some of you can know it by following the example of Jesus who got away to pray because he knew he needed the solitude and so do you. Who when his plans for solitude failed, he tried again. And he knew that Others that he loved, who needed him, he knew they'd be fine, even if they are in a storm. So, friends, Jesus is undoubtedly the busiest man in the world. Even now, he's interceding to the Father's right hand, fully God, fully human in his resurrected body.
So would you help us not to let distractions get in our way? Would you get away to pray? Would you even this week think about how can I learn to seek his stillness? On the back in this back communion table, there are sheets as we list every week. There are different prayers to walk you through, R-E-S-T. And I encourage you to take those sheets and that you might allow that to guide you, even if it's just for 10 minutes, to quiet your heart and to come before your heavenly Father and begin to learn the discipline of prayer. Jesus needed rhythms of solitude, and you do too. When your plans for solitude fail, try again, and others who need you will be fine, even if they're in a storm. And Jesus' offer to us is radically compelling. And may we come to his table this morning as those grafted into the beautiful story that is too good to be untrue with the hope of the resurrection and come and dine with your Savior in hope. Let's be the kind of church that we need to be for one another and for this city. Amen? Let's pray.